Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Thank you for joining us. In today's world, there is much confusion as to what defines family, and Satan is determined to keep it that way. The good news is that the children of God have victory because we know that the family, as designed by God, will not be destroyed. As the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God, stand firm, set the spiritual tone, and be the role model for your families to the glory of God, thereby establishing legacies for your future generations. Listen with Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander encourages us. Be so kind to turn with us to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's our text to families this day. Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. And there you'll find these words. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And from this particular passage, I want to preach a word to family and friends alike, pursuing peace in the midst of family conflict. So we want to preach. Pursuing peace in the midst of family conflict. Conflict is inevitable in all of our lives. You will find discord anywhere you find people. Satan, our flesh, selfishness, and differences of opinions has a way of creating friction between us, and it can either bring the best or the worst out of us, depending on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for the most part, hopefully, none of us really enjoy conflict, and it is usually an unpleasant experience. But it is sure to come. There's conflict in our homes, The husbands and wives who are in conflict with one another, perhaps there was a fight on the way to church. Who knows? There's conflict between parents and children. The conflict between brothers and sisters, siblings. There's conflict in our neighborhoods. There's conflict in politics. Conflict with nations against nations. There's conflict in the workplace. Conflict between coworkers. And supervisors, there's conflict in the school. School fights break out because of conflicts. Churches are even in conflict to the point that they split and go their own way. And even within ourselves, there's an inner struggle. There is an inner 
battle, an inner war, an inner conflict between the flesh and the spirit that are at war with each other. And that war commences the day we accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior. The battle then is on. But be it known to you today that the ultimate conflict is a spiritual conflict between God and Satan, which started actually in heaven and now is on earth. And the church and our marriages and families alike are in the heat of the battle. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, you know what an adversary is? That's your enemy. Your enemy, the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to destroy your family. He hates your family. He hates your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. There's nothing about you Satan likes. Revelation 12, 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea. The devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. That's why Satan's busy. That's why Satan is after you. Satan is relentless. He will not lighten up. He wants to destroy you, starting from the pulpit all the way to the back door. And if you give him permission to destroy your family, he will wreak havoc to no end in your family. Satan loves strife. He loves discords. He loves it when you go at it. Say, get him, get him, get him, go up, go, boop, boop, boop. He loves it. And some of y'all feed right into his hands and you give him what he wants. Family feuds, conflicts, strife, tension, and animosity will subside when we actually take this passage to heart and apply it to our lives. And once we have a proper interpretation an understanding of this text, we can better put into practice the principles that comes from the text. Let's now look at key words in this particular verse and see what God would have us know as we dissect and exegete this particular passage of scripture. Hang with me, if you will. Keep your Bibles open because you're going to use them. That's why this is Maranatha Bible Church. Why bring a Bible to church and you don't use it? Verse 1 says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Stop right there. Even though Paul was confined to a Roman prison unjustly for the cause of Christ, he has the right spiritual perspective as he views himself as a prisoner of the Lord. He was thrown in prison because of his love for Christ and and, uh, he was despised and and, uh, they found a way to put him in jail. But even then, he glorified Christ and realized that he wasn't just in a Roman jail. He was in jail for the cause of Christ. Therefore, he says, I am a prisoner. I am a prisoner of the Lord. Look at the next word. It says, I therefore 
the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Say beseech. Paul saying, I implore you. That word means I, I urge you. Uh, it means I beg you. It means I plead with you. In other words, he said, there's some things you must activate into your life if you want to have peace and if you want to have unity and if you want to have harmony in the church and the home and the family and everywhere else. He says, I urge you to what? To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, because we have been called, because we have been saved, because we have been set apart by Christ himself, we must live up to who we are in Christ. Positionally, we are saved because of being in Christ. And because of our being in Christ, it is a high call and high privilege to be in Christ. And because of who we are, we are king's kids. We are the royal priesthood. We are the chosen generation. We are the salt of the earth. Huh? We are the light of the world. He says, because of who you are in Christ, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you to be virtuous, walk worthy of the calling. That's to be virtuous. That's to be upright. That is to be trustworthy. Verse two, look what it says, with all lowliness. Park right there. Lowliness, what is that? That's humility. Humility, which is to put Christ first, others second, and yourself last. If you're seeking self-interest first, you're not lowly. When you come into Christ, when you come to Christ, the first agenda is for you to come to the conclusion that it's not about you. That's right. You must have the spirit that says, I must decrease and he must increase. You can't be lowly and you can't be humble until you realize that you have to deal with the issue of yourself that gets in God's way as well as uh, in the way of others. Look at the next and gentleness. Say gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. You know what gentleness means? It, it, it is to be mild-spirited. You're not cantankerous. You're not loud and rambunctious. You're not cold and you don't cut to the core. To be gentle is to be self-controlled. It is to be sweet-tempered. Mark your calendars for Sunday, October 17th at 10 a.m. Join us at Maranatha Bible Church as we honor all medical professionals during our Medical Professionals Appreciation Worship Celebration. Come and worship with us as we recognize, encourage, and honor these selfless individuals who give of themselves and beyond the call of duty to those in need, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Are you gentle, mama? Are you gentle daddy? Are you gentle husband? Are you gentle, you wives? It says, with long suffering. Say long suffering. This is to be long tempered. It, it, it is not to live on a short fuse. It is patient that endures in difficult circumstances and with difficult people. Did you get me? Let me reiterate. This is to be what? Long tempered. 
It is a patient that endures in difficult circumstances and with difficult people. Listen, one of the greatest things you can ask the Lord is to give you long-suffering, which is to mean patience, because there are, if the truth be told, there are difficult people in your lives. How many of you have somebody in your life that's difficult? That boss could be difficult. That teacher could be difficult. That's right. That husband could be difficult. That wife could be difficult. That child could be difficult. That grandchild could be difficult. And you need some long suffering. You need some patience that suffers long. You have to be patient with them because God is not through with them yet. Just like he's not through with you. Look at the next phrase. It says, bearing with one another in love. Say love. This is agape love, which is an unconditional love. In other words, you love me in spite of what I do. Sometimes people can only love people when they come up to their satisfaction. But when you really love me, you love me when I'm wrong. And you love me when I'm right. You love me when I do well. You love me when I do poorly. You love me when I make good decisions. And you love me when I make the worst of decisions. You love me when I get on your last nerve. <laughs> and what husbands and wives and children need in family, you need some, you need some love that beareth all things. This agape love, it loves unconditionally. It's not based on performance. You do this, this, this. And then I will love you. No, 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 no. You love unconditionally like Christ loves us unconditionally. Agape love is a selfless love and not a selfish love. It is a sacrificial love that is patient toward others. And the reason there's so much conflict in the home and between husbands and wives and children and and parents and, and children is because you're not patient with one another. It takes patience to teach folk how to wash clothes or how to do computers or uh, how to drive a car. Man, you're talking about some patience. They wore my patience out. I sent my children on to driving school because I thought I was going to kill them. If you think you've got patience, just start teaching your children how to drive when they think they know. And every time we get in the car, they've grown now. We all we happen to get in the car, they all gonna tell me about my driving. And I said, I drove you home from the hospital. If I'm good enough to drive you home from the hospital, you need to be quiet and let me drive. Look at verse three. Endeavoring. Say endeavoring. This is one who is willing and eager to give one's best to maintain and guard the unity of the spirit. You do whatever you can. You, you have a heightened sense of enthusiasm to give your best to maintain and guard the unity of the spirit wherever you are. You're not divisive. You're about unity and you're about the spirit of reconciliation to the glory of God. Endeavoring to do what? To keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what is that phrase saying? It's saying this, as we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, 
He will bring every aspect of our lives under his authority, under his influence, under his control, and we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh when we allow the spirit to govern our lives. You ever seen a drunk man or a drunk woman? Why are they staggering all over the place? Or why are they why they can't drive straight and they're zigzagging all out of the lanes is because they are under the influence of alcohol. That's right. They get loud. Huh? They get loud. They get crazy. They do things they wouldn't normally do if they were in their right mind. And because they are under the influence of alcohol, they are led by the spirit of alcoholism. And so must we be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When we are under his influence, he'll tell us to hold our peace. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you families, you don't have to give a word for a word. That's right. And even if the other person is wrong, you can just listen and start praying. And maybe you don't need to give an answer right then. You just ignite something. The Holy Spirit will tell you when to talk. And the best thing about it, the Holy Spirit will tell you when to shut your mouth. Have you ever opened your mouth and wished today that you could have shut it? Have you ever said something you wish you could have gotten back? But once it's out there, you can't get it back. They say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There are people in recovery right now because of some nasty, low-down words spoken by that husband, that wife, or that child, or that brother, or that sister, or that mother-in-law, or that father-in-law, or whatever kind of law. Practically speaking, how should we effectively handle conflict? How many of you had conflict in your marriages before? Oh, you, you've been terrible. Don't, don't lie in this house. How many of you had conflict with your child or conflict? You have conflict with your child when you're teaching them not to touch this, and they want to touch it, and you told them not to touch it, and you, poop, and they start, that's conflict right there. I never forget, Andrea. Uh, one Christmas, we was in Houston. She was just about, uh, I guess, not quite two years old. And she was intrigued with that Christmas tree. And uh, I said, don't touch the tree. And I kept saying, don't touch. And she, and she went on and she touched that tree anyhow. And I popped her. And she cried and she went and told her mama, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell her mama, trying to tell her mama on me. <laughs> Couldn't even talk, but she's trying to tell. (laughs) Conflict is inevitable. And if we desire unity, harmony in the home, harmony in the, the church, harmony anywhere we go, peace and progress in our families, the workplace and churches, we must address the issue of conflict from a biblical perspective and implement the following principles. Are you ready? Number one, we must have peace with God before we can have peace with others. Now listen, you can't deal with conflict unless you have first peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2, 12, verses 14, 16 through 18 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before we came to Christ, we didn't have God in the world. 
for he himself is our peace. I love that. He himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Listen, we were far off. That's the Gentiles. Those who were near are the Jews. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles alike, by one spirit through Christ to the Father. In other words, until you have peace from the Prince of Peace, it is difficult for you to make peace until you have Jesus giving you peace in him. And once you have peace in Christ, the peace of Christ, then you can help uh, resolve conflict in the context of your family. Number two, before God will use you as a mediator to bring resolution in conflicts, make sure you ask him to search and cleanse your own heart. You can't straighten anybody out until you first have your heart, your own heart right with God. Psalms 5110 says, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me, in me. Psalms 139 verses 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, we cannot be peacemakers until we first have our own hearts sifted of wickedness. You cannot be a peacemaker with ill motive. You cannot be a peacemaker scheming. You cannot be a peacemaker with the spirit of manipulation. You cannot be a peacemaker and bring reconciliation in your homes and on your your jobs and in your churches until you deal with the issue of pride. We cannot build unity until the peace of God rules in our hearts. When the peace of God rules in our hearts, then God can use us in an incredible way to be a peacemaker. Colossians 3.15 says... And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Is the peace of God ruling in your heart? Number three, how do we get a handle on conflicts? Be mindful that your marriage must be built on trust. Be mindful that your marriage must be built on what? Say a little bit louder. A little bit louder. A trustworthy husband and wife will have fewer fights. When the trust has been violated, be patient for it takes a long time to have that trust restored. You know, when you ask somebody how long, how come it took you so long to get back? Well, you said you could be back at 1030 and uh, it's 1035. (laughs) Whole lot goes back to the issue of trust. If your marriage is not built on trust, you are going to struggle in a way that we can't even describe. And you have to ask God to build the trust in your marriage so that you can have a marriage that's exemplary to the glory of Almighty God. How do we get a handle on conflict? Number four, refuse to allow conflict to paralyze you. And cause you to become dysfunctional to the point that you can't move on with your life. Get over your initial hurt 
and move on with your life. Refuse to allow conflict to paralyze you and cause you to become dysfunctional to the point that you can't move on with your life. Get over your initial hurt and move on with your life. Just because you have a conflict doesn't mean you have to just get stagnant and just stop living and don't go another further. No, because when that conflict is over, there's another one that's sure to come. So you may as well to come, you may as well come to the conclusion that you must press on in spite of your conflicts. How do we get a handle on conflict? Number five, listen. Clarify and define the issue. If you cannot identify the problem, you cannot work toward the solution. Some folk fight and don't even know what they're fighting about. You have to identify the problem, the source of the problem, the root of the problem. And you have to deal with it from that perspective. Listen, what is the root? What are we fighting about? Some folks fight so much until they're just fighting and really don't know why they're fighting. Number six, how do you get a handle on conflict? Hear God in the midst of the conflict and refuse to be led by your emotions. You know what breaks down the marriage and what breaks down the family and what breaks down uh, the workplace and the church is people come into the church emotionally angry and full of bitterness and resentment. A lot of times you make everything else the issue, but the, the truth be told, the issue is right back in your house. When the Holy Spirit governs the process, he will help you clarify your options and bring about reconciliation. Listen, the longer you, Satan loves it when you can stay in the spirit of anger because that keeps the conflict uh, hanging around indefinitely. Keep bitterness and resentment causes conflicts to go up to a level that you don't really want it to go. Number seven, if we're going to get a handle on conflict, what must we do? Stop being so bossy. Stop being so bossy, dominating and controlling. That creates conflict. It's got to go your way or there's hell in the house. Stop being so bossy. Somebody know what I'm talking about. You're dominating. You're controlling. And before your spouse can finish one assignment, you give them three more things to do and you haven't said thank you to the one completed assignment. There will be less conflicts as you serve one another in the spirit of Christ. You ask your husband to wash dishes, let him wash them. That's right. Let them wash them. Stop showing them every little ion of everything. Galatians 5.13 says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. God is our stronghold. God is our refuge. God is our strong tower. God is our deliverer. God is our healer. God is our provider. God is our everything. He gave his only begotten son to die in our place for our sins. God gave his all for us. As his children, we are obligated to give our all for him. We must remember the Lord our God. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.
We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 